Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror, horror movies, and the horror lifestyle. This week, that includes Netflix's Cabinet of Curiosities. I believe the full title is, is it Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet That's of right. Curiosities? He I wasn't sure. Cabinet. I wasn't sure if he, would, he got the presents, but no, it, you're right. It is his cabinet. He's opening his cabinet letting out all the curiosities for us to see. There are eight curiosities, if that's what we're calling them. <laughs> they are basically Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities is Netflix's answer to horror anthologies, which are all the rage, not just these days, but since the freaking 80s or whatever. We love horror anthologies. By nature, they're very hit or miss. So we've got eight features here. They range from like 39 minutes to like an hour 10, I think is maybe the longest or like an hour five, maybe. Um, so they kind of run the gamut there. I'm excited to talk about them. I'm uh, to me, you know, the new flesh podcast are one of our many slogans that I hastily come up with is that uh, it's October all year round for us. You know, in October, everyone scrambles to watch horror movies. Everyone's asking me what I should watch and I'm happy to oblige and everything, but we keep it going Every month is October here at the pod. So we're going to keep it going with Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. And this isn't because we're not ready to do Hellraiser. <laughs> no. We, why would even you even ask that? Why would anyone even I, suspect that? that listener, because we are totally ready to do the Hellraiser franchise. We just feel like there are some things we had to get to first. And Guillermo, it, it felt egregious for a horror podcast to just skip past eight essentially eight new horror movies yeah. that are out on netflix and i'm gonna say it right now half of them i think are genuinely great not just like good or good enough for a horror anthology i think four of them are genuinely great and i think you know the other four varying degrees of watchable and uh i'm excited to talk about them my co-host is jesse hassinger hello hi uh i'm a, you watched these before me because you reviewed I did. them, I believe. I, I, yeah, I, re- I reviewed them for the wrap, so I had to ra- watch them in pretty quick <laughs> order. Um, and also, I think another good reason to cover them, too, is part of the frustration I felt both, uh, you know, receiving the screeners, you know, not short, not the day before or anything, but, like, not as much time as I would have liked to watch eight new horror movies. Yeah. Uh, is that the, they dropped. It's, I'm sure it's kind of fun if you have, like, nothing else going on. But, like, these dropped the week before Halloween less than a week before Halloween, a couple at a time. So if you really want to like marathon them, you know, you could like watch two on October 25th and then two on the 26th and et cetera. But who has, the, who has been, you know, reserving their time. I, mean, I get it. It's like a fun thing to do. If you're like, not sure what to watch before Halloween, suddenly you have like eight options, but I had a little bit of a bone to pick with them. And my wife was complaining about this too, that like, why you have the entire month of October 
you're trying to like time these for Halloween. Why give them these to people on October 25th and then, you know, until October 30th? Like, I mean, treat it like can... treat it like Hanukkah. Give, yeah. give, us, give us eight crazy nights. Yeah, exactly. Guillermo del one, Toro's Cabin of Curiosity. One night at least, or even one every, you know, one. You could even do it you as a countdown a longer. You could do it eight weeks before Halloween for that matter. Like, not that you can't watch these things in October and I, or November. I think a lot of people will because, like, who who's into watching horror movies for, for Halloween is going on October 27th going, oh, yeah, I just don't know which ones to what. You know, I mean, like, by that point, you feel like you probably have a, it's probably the opposite, where you're like, ah, there's so many on the Criterion channel, and there's so many on right. TV or whatever. So uh, I feel like this one, people are going to have to cut extremes from Jesse, the Criterion yeah. <laughs> channel and Tubi. <laughs> the, I was just mentioning the two most prestigious <laughs> yes, of course. channels. What's on Roku channel, whatever. Um, like, I think there'll be a big player next halloween with with uh they'll do a danzig biopic or something um no the, like <laughs> the uh yeah this the release of them made it so that i'm sure a lot of people who are interested in this have not been able to catch up with them yet maybe now it's now it's a little after yeah halloween, i definitely as described like i played catch up with it i didn't watch all of them until honestly jesse and i went to a concert on friday night and like afterwards i was Maybe we talked about it there. I don't even think we did. But I was just thinking, like, what, like, (laughs) thinking because I had to do prep for Hellraiser that day, (laughs) which I did and I'm ready for. Absolutely. Yes. Same. Absolutely. 100%. (laughs) Totally ready. Um, I just had to remember that I'd watched a couple of these and I, I started with the one that some of my friends said was the best one and I found it to be kind of not great. So I was like, you know, it didn't make me want to watch more of them. Uh-huh. So I was kind of like soft on it. And then I watched one that I loved. And then I was easy. Once I watched one that I loved, I was like, that's it. I'm in. And I watched all of them. And then I had a couple more to get to before we recorded this pod. And I'm glad I got to them because there was definitely some some gold in their hills. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to talk about them. And I, I think you're right. People are going to be catching up with them. So I'm, I think we're going to do a you know quick fire because it's eight eight movies, eight things to talk about. So we'll do some rapid fire few minutes each talking about each one, maybe more, some more than others. Some, you know, there's a lot more meat on the bone to some yeah. than others. Yes, yes. So we'll talk about all of that. And I also want to say that it's not going to be technically the main event on this episode, but there is a new release. I'm going to put in quotes, horror movie out this week that begs to be talked about it is a movie that is getting headlines that say it's the most shocking movie of the year and i i don't really have any uh, you know i i agree with them i do think it's like a it's one of those like primal scream of a movies uh of a movie that is like uh it's hard to watch but it's definitely horrifying and Jesse and I are going to feel very differently about it. So I'm excited to talk about it. But we're going to put that beyond the paywall this week. We've got Soft and Quiet. It's a new movie from Blumhouse. You can now rent it. Uh, it's like, you know, $6.99 or whatever it costs to rent a movie. It's on VOD. It's also in one theater in New York City and maybe in one theater in other towns. I'm not sure. But Soft and Quiet is a movie that was not on my radar at all. And then uh, now it is extremely on my radar. And I want to make everyone aware that there is a new release horror movie. The week of Friday, November 4th is when it came out. And it's totally under the radar. And I think a lot of people who listen to the show would absolutely love it and think it's like sick and awesome and a powerful movie. And I suspect just as many may think it's a total 
exercise in futility and who is this for? And maybe that's Jesse's perspective. I'm excited to get there. But you're going to have to give us a few bucks. That'll be on the Patreon. Soft and quiet this week is the bonus episode. And then I know Jesse has access to a couple more movies for the bonus that I want him to watch. So hopefully next week, we'll do another double feature on the bonus episodes of House of Darkness and The Devil's Workshop. Two movies you can also rent for maybe even cheaper than $6.99 because they've been out for so long. I don't know how these things work anymore. But you can definitely watch all these things. And that's on the Patreon where we're doing bonuses every week. So there are so many bonus episodes now. If you haven't been on our Patreon and you've been listening to the show for years or even weeks, there are so many things. So definitely get on there. Patreon.com slash New Flesh Podcast. Anything to discuss, Jesse, before we get into the bits and the pieces of the news of the week? Um, I don't think so. I think I think I'm ready to go. Let's talk. Let's let's go to the news. We're going right to the news. I'm going to start with a box office report just because it's it's fun to check in a week after Halloween and see how all the horror that's been faring very well at the box office is faring. Turns out, Jesse, still very well. Terrifier 2 grossed another 1.2 million this weekend from like it's now in nearly 1300 locations, which is so fucking wild to me. It has grossed 9.86 million total. It will have grossed ten million dollars by next week, and can they count on your dollars, Jesse? I'm gonna sound like a politician now <laughs> who's calling you ahead of the election. Can we count on you, Jesse, to roll out for Terrifier two in, in I, week six or week seven? <laughs> I wonder how long theaters will keep it because, like, at, at, over a long enough timeline, I I probably would end up seeing it. But it, the 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 barrier having of having to watch Terrifier one, which I know I do have access to, uh, in a number of places, yes. Uh, is just you know it just means that there's something else i have to get through before i roll i'll out throw this out there <laughs> it is a movie you don't really need to like, you could absolutely <laughs> be walk confused into terror- by, no. who's art the clown i yeah, don't know what is this <laughs> um i mean it does definitely pick up right where one leaves off but you would not be confused you'd understand what's going on all the elements that you might be like huh are uh, just as huh if you've seen the first one so i do, it, I do yeah. want to and, and i love to exercise my stubs so i i'm i'm still thinking i mean, feel like i i'm feeling increasingly like i should get I like, the family together yeah. get in the car <laughs> go see terrifier it's just, too it's just a, i'm you know the new york city schools uh have a policy of being having a day off at least once a, a week <laughs> every week for most of the fall so i'm trying to figure out if i have time. trying to figure out when you could take uh, when, when, your daughter when, when out of I, school to go yeah, see exactly. Terrifier yeah. 2 with you. It's a le- an election day. I'll take her out to see. It is. I still. I see. It is still playing all day at the AMC yes. 19th Street. Yes. So I feel like that. Honestly, I would go if you go. You should let me. Okay, know. I'll um, let you know if I. I mean, I'm going to go at some weird time where it's just going to be a couple guys in yeah, trench coats. Like. That's fun too. <laughs> like that is intriguing to me, and like watching it with that crowd would probably be equal. Maybe not equally as fun as a full crowd, but like I'm sure those people would be vocal no matter who's how many people are there. Um, <laughs> if gut- guttural utterances, I picture. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm assuming even with like a three person crowd, you'll get a walkout. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Um, yeah, it's still playing, and I was checking the show times because I saw some people tweeting like Terrifier Two still playing in my town and no one's going, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's not that's not the story in New York. People are yeah. still going. It was the most crowded movie on Friday night. Uh, it is, it, it's doing very well. Every Showtime I check has several tickets sold. So congratulations again to everybody at Bloody Disgusting and uh, uh, whoever else, Demian Leone, uh, Demian Leone and uh, David Thornton Howard is his name. David Howard Thornton, whatever it is. 
we love Terrifier. And the speaking of the episode, I'm sure you all noticed was on the main feed. And you can now listen to me and Joe talk about Terrifier ahead of the episode where Jesse and I will be talking about Terrifier <laughs> 2 and Terrifier in the future, presumably. I It's one of those movies where I'll do an episode anytime I can convince a new person to watch it. <laughs> I am excited to get into it with you. Uh, also, Smile grossed another $4 million this weekend, which is only a 26% drop from, from Halloween weekend, which is what, week six or seven for this movie? Yeah. Estimated domestic total stands at 99. So Smile is going to cross 100 million domestic, a horror movie that was once supposed to be a Paramount Plus thing. So that's hopefully a lesson for some people. Um, and that's really it from the box office of horror interest. Pray for the Devil actually made another nearly $4 million this weekend somehow. Uh, I just realized Pray for the Devil actually sprung for uh, an emoji on Twitter for the hashtag. Oh, wow. There's a little ghostly. <laughs> None and, and yet, and yet, Elon says that nobody that the advertisers are going away. That seems like they're they're doing bang up business. They got the pray for the devil money. <laughs> yeah, they got the pray for the devil money, the smile money, and the Halloween ends money, or the whole all the horror movies. Oh, and the woman king's got a little. Ter- does terrify? I feel like Terrifier has one too. Isn't there an Art the Clown one? Maybe I made. Oh that my up. god, there better there isn't according to this hashtag I see here. Oh, okay. uh, oh. But I would I would hope missed opportunity on that. Yeah, yeah. They got ten million bucks now. They can they can spring it. Wakanda Forever's got one. Uh, all right. So I already mentioned Soft and Quiet. Real-time social horror is the year's most shocking movie, is the headline on Bloody Disgusting. Hard to argue. I'm excited to talk about it, but we can't right now. We got too much too much other stuff going on. Uh, biggest news of the week, Jesse. Not sure how aware you are of all this. So it's been 13 years since the release of the last Friday the 13th movie, with the franchise trapped in a messy legal battle ever since. But the wait is over. We know what's coming, Jesse. It is a Friday the 13th prequel series from <laughs> Brian Fuller, who is the mastermind genius behind NBC's Hannibal, which I, I'm not being sarcastic. That show rules. And it's one of those things where no one wanted a Hannibal hour-long show on <laughs> procedural on NBC, but it ended up transcending that would have you know that description very easily and was like an r-rated horror movie every week on nbc i do not understand how they made it it's amazing <laughs> anyway peacock in that same vein hopefully has ordered up crystal lake a friday the 13th prequel series and the craziest part of the news it's an a24 production jesse what a24 <laughs> is the studio making uh crystal lake the expanded prequel to the original Friday the 13th trilogy. It's got a straight to series order at Peacock. This is probably the first. Is it the first Peacock A24 joint? I think it has to be. Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah. Maybe they like do it, more yeah. TV stuff than I know, but um, they do. Have, they do have like more of a line in TV than you would expect, but I'm not sure if they have anything on TV on Peacock. <laughs> so the show will be written by Brian Fuller, who is also the showrunner and executive producer. Victor Miller, who penned the original film in the franchise, who I think is involved in all this litigation and stuff will also be executive producing alongside a bunch of people. Uh, Friday the 13th is one of the most iconic horror franchises in movie history, and we were dying to revisit the story with our upcoming drama series, Crystal Lake. We can't wait to get to work with Brian Fuller, a gifted visionary creator who I've had the pleasure of being a longtime friend and collaborator, along with our incredible partners at A24, in this updated version for Peacock that will thrill longstanding fans of the franchise. Fuller says, I discovered Friday the 13th, 
in the pages of Famous Monsters magazine when I was 10 years old, and I've been thinking about the story ever since. When it comes to horror, A24 raises the bar and pushes the envelope, and I'm thrilled to be exploring the campgrounds of Crystal Lake under their banner. So to recap the legal issues, Sean Cunningham, the movie's original director, the original movie, Friday 13th, 1980, Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller, the guy who wrote that original movie, have been fighting over who gets control of what for years. It was back in 2018 when a judge ruled that Victor Miller, the writer, owns the rights to the original Friday the 13th screenplay in the U.S., a decision that Sean Cunningham, the director, has failed to overturn in the years, but has tried to in court. And Cunningham, however, owns the character of adult Jason Voorhees, which (laughs) obviously, to a layman and to horror fans, for the most part, probably, you think of Friday the 13th, you think of adult Jason Voorhees, right? (laughs) But if you think of the original film, of course, classic horror trivia question, who's the killer in Friday the 13th? It's Mrs. Voorhees. It is Jason's mother. So there was all this speculation about what does this mean? Like, does the litigation still in effect? Does that mean that we're not going to see Jason in the Friday the 13th show? And people were all pissed off about that. But we've got confirmation. Variety's added to the report that... uh, the Rob Bars Barsamian is on board the Peacock series, and he's one of these players involved in the in the litigation. That means the movie, the show, will have access to all elements, which means Jason is definitely or will be allowed to be in it. So Rob Barsamian and Victor Miller are executive producing, and Sean Cunningham. I don't know what his involvement is, but it seems like. It will be allowed to go. Yeah, and Brian Fuller has officially confirmed. A24 and Mark Toberoff, who is Victor Miller's lawyer, have beautifully and excruciatingly assembled all of the rights. As a streaming series, we have rights to do everything under the umbrella. The movie rights... Oh, here it is. The movie rights are a completely different story. Those are tied up at New Line and are super, super messy and probably won't be untangled anytime soon. But as far as us chickens in the television industry... uh, (laughs) roost we have access to anything and everything that friday 13th has done up until this point that was actually fascinating and i learned something yeah. at the end there uh so tell so the rights are still hung up in the film arena but they were able to basically it seems like a loophole like a cheat code yeah. to be like yeah if you make a tv show it doesn't count towards this arbitrary bullshit so there you have it crystal lake prequel series to friday 13th one of those things where on paper that sounds really dumb and probably wouldn't have the back. I mean, horror fans aren't super discerning. I think most people would watch it anyway. But, you know, the more discerning, like, there, any remake is a desecration of the original and any prequel. Why would you do that? I feel like that crowd is going to be satiated by the fact that Brian Fuller is the one doing it. Because yeah. he's already proven he can take something like Hannibal that no one would think would work on NBC and make something incredible that if you haven't seen NBC's Hannibal, definitely check it out. And uh, Friday 13th coming to Peacock, which is basically new NBC. So hopefully <laughs> it, it is a similarly fucked up. We've got Danny Boyle in an interview with NME this week, talking about how it's been 20 years since 28 days later. And they, here's what he said about the idea of doing 28 months later. Because we all know in 2007, we got 28 weeks later, and it's there's been no activity since then. Danny Boyle says, I'd be very tempted to direct 28 months later. 
he noted that there's a script that's been wit- written already. And he, uh, Alex Garland wrote the script. Who he, he wrote the original movie. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. It's one of those things where, like, to me, I always find it fascinating to be like, oh, yeah, Alex Garland's a guy who's been around for a long time writing stuff. Yeah, he yeah. Only he only directed something. Right. He only directed something for the first time, like, you know, in the past, what? Ex Machina? Was that his first movie? Yeah, Ex Machina was his first So movie. it seems like he's new to the scene, but he's not. And, like, there are rumors, I think it may be even confirmed by people who are in the movie, that he, like, shadow directed Dread. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah, I'd heard that, yeah. Yeah, I've heard, I, I forget, I think, who's the guy, in, the lead in that movie? He's also with Carl Urban. I yes. feel like he's tweeted as much and said that, yes. yes, Alex Garland did basically direct Dread. Anyway, Alex Garland has a script for 28 months later. And Danny Boyle says, it feels like a very good time now to do it, actually. It's funny. I hadn't thought about it until you just said it. And I remember, bang, the script, which is, again, set in England, very much about England. Anyway, we'll see. Who knows? It might come back into focus because one of the things that's happening in the business at the moment is it has to be a big reason for you to go to the cinema because there are less and less reasons. It's hard for companies distributing films and for cinema chains to show films. They're struggling to get people into the cinema unless it's something like Top Gun Maverick or a Marvel. But a third part would get people in. It was half decent. I think he's right, but I also have to like give him the caveat of Train Spotting 2 didn't exactly set the world on fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but maybe that's a, a smaller type. scale. Yeah. It's a different type of movie. It's- I mean, 28 <laughs> Days <laughs> Later must have been a crossover hit because in my mind, I saw that. Later, it, it, it's one. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, please, when it, please. It, it, it's one of those. I've things been talking where a I lot think, this episode. Please, no, no. Uh, it, it, it like because it did. Uh, it was like such a small movie, like in terms of budget and scale and stuff. I mean, it looks it's actually like a huge, huge like surprisingly well, it, effective. But like, yes, but like one of those movies where it was what year was it? It shot on like DV. It just it yeah, looked, yeah. It does like I have like even there probably is a 4K of it that I have, or I definitely have a Blu-ray of it. And no matter what format you're watching it on, it has aged. It looks bad, but like yeah, I mean, like, photography is yeah. good. But the it's sort the, of the aesthetic no. too. It's like exactly. it's got that sort exactly. of like uh, it fits so. The movie. You, we think of it as being like, oh, this was such a big hit compared to like what kind of grimy, you know, lo-fi, d- you know, d- DV shot. Like at the time, Starless, because Cillian Murphy, Murphy wasn't a thing then. And then you look at the box office for the U.S. And it like for 2003, 45 million is not nothing. Um, in fact, might be one of Boyle's highest grossing movies <laughs> in this country. Um uh, until Slumdog, which he did the next, which was his next one, and was like a genuinely big hit. But yeah, compared to like Slumdog Millionaire, which was like a genuine breakout, 125 million domestic hit, you look at 28 Days Later and it's like, oh yeah, it did 45. Wow, what a spectacular franchise, you know, <laughs> franchise starting number. And, for, and 28 weeks later, I think, did fine for a sequel to a movie that grossed 45 million. Uh, right. But and it also but had no, none of the elements that like, made yeah. the first one a classic like danny yeah. boyle no longer involved alex garland no longer involved it was like second tier like classic doing a sequel that feels like it might be like could have been a vod thing if it was lesser yeah. budget you well know i think what I, mean? I think even um i think boyle might have produced it or something like he had probably something, yeah but i don't yeah it wasn't like he didn't direct I, it and, i'm blown uh, away to find out that the cast includes jeremy renner and rose byrne yeah yeah i remember rose byrne that was like one of the earlier times i saw her that was back when she was like now she does comedies all the time by the time she was always doing like she was always like the sad chick in movies you know she was always looking yeah. look, you know in, that and insidious she was like a little scream queen 
Um, yeah, and that movie did appropriately twenty eight million in domestic, uh, which you know is a normal number for like a horror <laughs> sequel, like for you know, that that came out like four years later and didn't have the original caster or crew um, to a movie that would, wasn't that huge of a movie in the first place. So it is kind of funny that now, just by the virtue of it being a brand name, and I'm sure it's picked up an audience, a bigger audience over the years because it's available um it's just funny to think oh yeah like yeah well this is big enough that it might bring yeah it's like this is this series has never made 100 million worldwide so i don't know how much i mean again that's also 20 years ago i think he's almost on to something with like the idea that horror i mean again i say this all the time horror is always like we get articles every ho- every October, I feel like, that's like, horrid, crushing at the box office. How is this happening? And like, yeah. it's always happening. But it is particularly a thing right now, and everyone's writing about it again. So like, it, I get what he's saying. Yeah, like, he, he almost misses it by saying, like, by saying, oh, yeah, people go out for a Marvel or Top Gun, and this this might be... You know, he isn't saying that these are going to be Top Gun level, but he's saying, you know, this is a brand name. I think that's the thing he's missing, is that, like, yeah, people horror. go out for horror movies. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> that's Especially one of the things if, that, you know... Yeah. Killian Murphy's back in the seat, or I don't know how they would do that, but he said the problem. Here's what Killian Murphy said: I think there's a problem with that is that I'm 20 years older. But every time <laughs> I do bump into Danny or Alex, I always mention it because I showed it to my kids recently some Halloween a few years ago, and they loved it. It really stands up, which is amazing for a film that's 20 years old. So I love the idea; it's very appealing to me. Um, yeah. Agree that it does hold up as a movie. I didn't mean to suggest yes. it doesn't. It just doesn't yeah, look cool. good. <laughs> it's yeah, like I mean, frustrating it, to watch on at home. You're like, I have this 4K setup, and it looks like this. Uh, well, like but, it, I, yeah. to me, like that is it is at least part uh, and parcel. Yeah. yeah, like it's it's one of those early DV movies where at least and it looked you know in some ways looked even worse at the time because like at that at that time most movies were shot on film, so like yeah. seeing this like super grainy like really looks like a camcorder at times. But like that is part of what it's sort of doing at least. It's kind of like what I feel about the Michael Mann DV shot things. Like people talk about Public Enemies not looking as good as whatever else of his, and I think it looks so good in what within his attentions which are strange but like uh but yeah i think it's like it is it's one of those things where if you blow it up and like get a really nice high def transfer it's like still gonna look kind of like you're watching it on on a on a crt screen <laughs> uh but it's a cool movie i like it a lot it's really one, probably one of my favorite like newer zombie movies in general like i i like uh land of the dead a lot but i probably like 28 days later more like in terms of yeah. later periods i love that i love it as well i have vivid memories of seeing it in theaters because it it scared me it was i was like how when what year did that movie come out 2003 yeah 2003 yeah i was like like 13 years old and uh, <laughs> went with my friend's mom took us and i remember just being like there's definitely scenes in that movie that stuck with stuck with me as being like memorably maybe even just like jump scary zombie stuff but it was it was uh-huh. scary yeah uh, scary. all right rest of the news hbo cancels westworld after four seasons which if you've been following the viewership for that show it is not surprising in any way it was like huge season one similarly big two huge drop off three and like decimated by four and um or, or yeah, it just it's canceled now. So yeah. <laughs> it's not surprising that that happened. I want to let everyone know if you are a fan and you you weren't aware. I couldn't get into that show at all. Um, gave up in season one, but I know a lot of people out there liked it despite the ratings being bad. Netflix has also renewed the Sandman for season two, which is kind of surprising considering presumably the budget and the fact that it's probably not that big of a thing. But they're doing another season. I'm assuming that will be the only other one of that mark my words on that one uh lupita nyongo has joined a quiet place day one did you know this i did know this lupita uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she could do better than A Quiet Place Zero. Or yeah, I saw is. that and I was kind of <laughs> disappointed. I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> like you can do better, but maybe, she, you know, hopefully she's maybe. getting paid. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Michael Sarnowski, who did Pig, is directing this one. It's said to be a spinoff. Um, it's going to come out March 8th, 2024. It's a based on an original idea by John Krasinski, which I hope becomes a real credit that they write down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Deadline, of course, hope the hope is that this film would help set up a potential quiet place universe that the studio can build on for years to come. No (laughs) shit. That is, is of course the plan. They would like for that to happen. They're saying you're saying the third movie in the series. They're thinking maybe they would like it to continue. That's interesting. It's funny that analysis. John Krasinski is now like, Aren't these uh what they're what's it called movies? Platinum Dunes movies. These are like so, yeah. Michael Bay, Brad Fuller productions, and now Krasinski, John Krasinski. Did, yeah. yeah, Krasinski <laughs> Bay Fuller. Like Krasinski did what Bay could not on his own. He because like Bay had all those horror Platinum Dunes remakes that like pointedly failed to provide uh you know a series. You know they were hoping I'm sure to do a whole series of Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the Thirteenth, Texas Chainsaws, and they never got further than two Texas Chainsaws, <laughs> uh, and then the other ones cracked out at one um, i forgot about the with the is the is the beginning the jordana brewster one that's the jay brew one yeah yeah i kind of like it but yeah and maybe, i actually kind of liked it more than the first one if i, remember I think correctly. i did too but i don't remember <laughs> go back and listen to jesse and i watching all the texas chainsaws <laughs> which was a which was a delight um really delighted to do the hellraiser stuff i can't believe we keep putting it off yes <laughs> yeah like i'm excited more, way more fun to do series deep dives like that yeah and keep up with the new stuff Anyway, more casting or more announcements. It is a casting announcement. Uh, this is another thing I don't care about, but I feel like listeners might. So here I go. Netflix's The Witcher is coming back, but Henry Cavill is leaving the show, who's the literally the star of it, the, the lead. And Liam Hensworth is taking over as Geralt of Rivia. So I guess I wanted to mention it because are you also kind of like secretly like, yes, over this? Because you're like... Yes, a movie star realizing that Netflix TV show is like not as cool as starring in movies. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, basically, that's funny. <laughs> he got a Superman job and he's gone. That's what happened. Yeah, he's like, fuck this. Uh, no, I, I've never seen The Witcher, so I have no dog in the fight in terms of like, oh, is it good yeah, or bad for the exactly. show? And I, I'm not even that big a fan of Henry Cavill in particular, although I like Same. him fine. Uh, but I, I did feel a weird kind of relief of like, good for him. <laughs> yeah, I feel like me, any any like-minded person to you and me would feel that way. I definitely yeah. felt it big time when I saw the announcement. I definitely saw the headline because I think comicbook.com broke or something. I was like, I just don't believe this. And then I saw he just immediately Instagrammed it. I'm like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> this guy is saying like, you know, fuck the Netflix payday. This shit is beneath a movie star i am not doing it hopefully this is the beginning of the end of big stars on streaming things that are not interesting <laughs> but actually i'm gonna contradict myself because here we go aubrey plaza has joined the cast of agatha coven of chaos which as someone who didn't watch wandavision i have no fucking idea what this is going to be or what that is but i wanted to mention it because it sounds it horror is a, adjacent it is- it involves a witch, although it's never going to be like a scary witch because these things never have like actual scares in them. <laughs> but yes, yeah. it does involve a witch, so it is it is it is horror adjacent. Scream Queen Aubrey Plaza from Child's Play 2019. <laughs> everyone knows her from, obviously. Yeah. Uh, IFC Midnight and Shudder acquired a supernatural thriller called Consecration, starring Jenna Malone. 
So I just wanted to put that on everyone's radar. We got an acquisition. Oh, that's a movie from director Chris Smith, who did Triangle, which I love, and The Banishing, which is okay. Uh, so this is actually exciting. Chris Smith has a new horror movie, and it sounds like it'll be going to IFC theaters, IFC Center, before it will be on Shutter, presumably, in 2023. We also have a new project from Johannes Roberts, who I'm pretty sure we mentioned in some anthology context recently. But he has a new straight-up movie, not an anthology. And Jesse, it's a fucking screen gem. Oh, yeah. My man. Direct- yes, he will be directing a project that we don't know anything about. It's a mystery project, but it is titled Border Patrol. And it's a screen gem with James Wan's Atomic Monster producing as well. Wow, wow. That's a, a fun step up collab. For screen gems. Yeah. Yeah, it is a big <laughs> step up for screen gems. Uh, plot details kept under wraps. We got screenwriters, and that's all we got. I don't know nothing about this movie. He did he do the Resident Evil? Was he the one who did the Resident Evil? He reboot? did. He just did Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City, which was good. Yeah, I like that too. It yeah. was a nice John Carpenter pastiche mixed with a Resident Evil movie that was yeah. like more indebted to the games than the than the WS Anderson ones. Yeah. Uh, and he also did 47 Meters Down, and he also did The Strangers Pray at Night. And he did do a segment in VHS 99, which is probably uh, okay, what we cool. were talking about. Um, Salem's Lot, we know, got delayed from September 2022 to April 2023, partially because of like that you know, visual effects delay that was happening because of COVID-related issues. Anyway, Lewis Pullman, the star of the film, has teased its faithfulness to the novel in an interview. He said, Gary Doberman... <laughs> The director <laughs> is uh, really keen on doing justice to the book, but also the previous adaptation was a two-parter because it's such a hefty book, and there are so many different moving parts and so many characters. So there are some parts where Gary had to press and find what was really at the heart of the movie to keep in. But for the most part, he's really true to the book and keeping a lot of the original dialogue in there. He's a Stephen King hound dog, so he doesn't want to do <laughs> Stephen dirty. I can't believe somebody called Gary Doberman a hound dog, and it wasn't <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> He also adds, Gary is a really smart guy. He was a keen eye for things. I think not just lean on the jump scares, but more on the conceptual and visual things that rather than a shock that fades out of your body the next five minutes, something that's more visual, like an imprint that burns into your retinas is a disturbing image that you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't shake out of your head. All right. Well, don't make promises you can't keep Lewis Pullman. That <laughs> sounds very good. <laughs> sounds really cool. Um Salem's Lot set circa 75 when the book was first published. Uh, this is a book I hadn't read until this year, but I did on a vacation. It was like my beach read, hilariously enough. And it rocked. So I'm really excited for uh, the Salem's Lot movie because the only adaptation that exists is... Uh, it's a Toby Hooper one, but it's like a TV-style Toby Hooper mm-hmm. movie. So yeah. it's not as interesting, and it's very long. Uh, so Salem's Lot, the movie, April 2023. Scream 6 release date has moved up from March 31st to March 10th. All we know about it is it's set in New York City. We've got Matt Benelli open and Tyler Gillett of Radio Silence directing again. Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Jenna Ortega, which are all the surviving members of Five, are back. We've got Dermot Mulroney joining. We've got Samara Weaving joining. We've got Tony Revolori joining, who if you might if you don't know by name, I guarantee you you will know by just like the guy in every movie. Uh, Jack <laughs> Grand Champion, Budapest Hotel, most notably. Grand Budapest Hotel, most notably. But if you're like, you know, a commoner, 
<laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man. The Spider-Man yeah. movies. The recent ones. Uh, the Scream Saga. Oh, and Henry Cherney also is in it. The cast oh, nice. sounds fun. There's a lot, a lot of fodder for people. A lot of people can die in this movie, it sounds like. Um, the writers back that we had on the show, both of them, I'm excited uh, for Scream 6, of course, because we, we're big fans of Scream 5 here at the show. Uh, so there's that movie that's coming out. It's like uh, Winnie the Pooh has like lapsed into the whatever you call it. Uh, Public what do you domain. Call it? Public domain. So anyone could make a movie about it. And of course, someone already did. And they made a horror movie called Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey that looks really cheap and low rent and bad. But because of the like inherent interest in horror movies and the internet being a place where people click on stuff that like falsely promises things, you know what I mean? So uh-huh. like there's definitely an, an economy online where this Winnie the Pooh movie that's extremely low rent is thriving and everyone thinks it's a real movie. And to further that idea, Fathom Events is doing a one night only in theaters of this fucking movie. Jesse. <laughs> um, February 15th, 2023. I don't mean to get ahead of it. Maybe it's fun, but everything I've seen, including the really shitty looking poster, makes this look like an embarrassing thing. But maybe it'll be fun. I'm a... Uh, going to keep an open mind here's what he said about it the director his name is rise frake waterfield in this version of the classic story christopher robbins headed off to college and he's abandoned his old friends which leads the duo to embracing their inner monsters he's pulled away from them and he's not given them food <laughs> it's made Pooh and piglet's life quite difficult because they've had to fend for themselves they've essentially become feral so they've gone back to their animal roots they're no longer tame. They're like a vicious bear and pig who want to go around and try to find prey. So Tigger and Eeyore can't appear due to copyright issues. <laughs> well, yeah, Tigger. Maybe they. Maybe there's a Tigger in the in the original books. I feel like that's a Disney creation, perhaps, but or something. Some at least in the f- form that we know. You're Tigger telling is. me Tigger is a fucking baby Yoda? Maybe. Uh, I forget. I, you know what? I'm not. I don't want to. I, I, I shouldn't talk out of turn but i feel like <laughs> you're gonna get the poo heads coming at you. yeah <laughs> no you know what tigger is uh, he is in the original books um but like i feel like he, he him being one of the main ones is like kind of a disney thing <laughs> remember there was a tigger movie what was it called yeah it was just yeah called like the tigger the, movie the, the tigger movie <laughs> and then there was a, there was the heffalump movie yeah mm-hmm. yes a lot of, uh, lot of who's heffalump movie yeah <laughs> excuse me I didn't know who got top billing in the half. Yeah. <laughs> Show some fucking uh, respect. A couple other bits of pieces here. This is mostly for me, who's been waiting for it. Dark Sky Films is finally bringing Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw to 4K. There's been a 4K release out in other regions, but not here. And it sounds like it's finally coming in 2023, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. Love that movie. Have bought it several times. We'll buy it again. Halloween Horror Nights 2023. Universal Studios does, you know, different haunted houses every year. They've already announced for next year that Chucky is getting his own haunted house. Yes. Yes. Horror Nights. Um, Friends of the show, Louis Peitzman and Mike Scollins and I have been talking about doing a trip, maybe, to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando. So maybe I can convince Jesse to do that. Maybe we'll take the Patreon money out. 
and we'll go. <laughs> that sounds like a fun thing. I I would I would not turn it down. I I feel like that that could be a thing I could I, I could do. I'm so behind. Have you been kept up on Chucky? I, like I watched have the not first episode and completely f- fell behind yes. on it, and I'm so excited because I've heard it's still. I've great. heard it's great. Lewis Peitzman says it's great and was DMing me about it and asking me about it. So I need to watch it, and I will announce now that if he's down, I think he would be based on our conversation. Uh, we should do an episode on Chucky yes. season yes. two. Yes, because we definitely start did it. You know, we did season one, so we, st- yeah. we started the precedent. We got to do it. Um, yeah. We'll cover season two. Oh God, maybe that'll push Hellraiser further. <laughs> I don't. I don't know when Chucky season two ends. If you're getting really sick of my shit and you really want Hellraiser, please let me know because in my <laughs> mind, nobody cares, and we're just kind of rolling along and catching everything we can before we do that. So let me know if that's bothering you. Um, all right, let's jump into. Guillermo del Toro. Let's climb into the cabinet. I do like that the intro to every episode has him like carefully opening a different cabinet and like retrieving a little object and like putting on a table and a little his, figurine like, of the director. Yeah. Yeah. Very cute stuff. I love I, I just like who is who what director would, would be better. Uh, I mean, I feel like in terms of screen presence, probably Quinn Quinn Tarantino or any number of guys. But uh, it's just like so uh, this is my cabinet see. of curiosities. All right, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Oh, yeah, that's good. I like. That. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's a cabinet, right? Like, like you know, I don't know. But yeah, there's so many drawers. Uh, yeah. You could, uh... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's weirdly, it's so, it's so funny that uh, this is the, the bizarre tangent. But like, you know, Norm Macdonald was on SNL. He's one of my favorites on SNL, yes. and he was like not a normal sketch performer. He mostly did Weekend Update because he was like a stand-up guy. But he only did a few impressions, and a couple of them were a few that he did like Bob Dole, David Letterman, and Quentin Tarantino. And That's he actually right. did all of them really well. And I was like, what a straight. He has like a hundred percent hit rate on impressions, even though. And impressions I wouldn't have even thought that someone would do necessarily. Uh, anyway, I just always think of Norm's doing Quinn Tarantino, which is such a strange thing. Anyway, yes, it's so darling to see Guillermo del Toro in his little, you know, his little suit, and he comes out and, and solidly oh, it's not introduces. Little. Yeah, <laughs> he's a big man, yeah. <laughs> bigger just, than ever. Maybe he yeah, looks yeah. very big. Yeah, um, look very yeah. dapper. I just like, I just enjoy his like, you know, I just enjoy seeing him at the front of every episode. Very, very nice yes, stuff. He I definitely seems like didn't... he really cares about this stuff, which I, is so much fun. Yeah, I appreciated that. Like that was first, and they didn't allow you to like skip it, and then they would play the intro, which I would then skip. <laughs> like I appreciated getting the little Guillermo del Toro intros. Um, so let's just start at the top. Um. The first one of the eight is called Lot 36. Yes. And it's directed by Guillermo Navarro, who, from my understanding, is Guillermo del Toro's longtime cinematographer. Yes, that's correct. He definitely won an Academy Award for shooting uh, Pan's Labyrinth. And he's also done, you know, of course, Hellboy. But away from Guillermo, he did, I believe... The John Favreau joint, Zathura, a space adventure, <laughs> and Light at the Museum and Pacific Rim. Uh, yes. Tangent on Zathura. I don't have. I don't, I don't really have one other than yeah. to say I was such a huge Jumanji fan that I remember being really excited for Zathura, and it not it did doing very little for me. But I feel yeah. like people liked it fine. I think people like. I feel like the Ain't It Cool crowd gave that one a pass because they were already in bed with Fabs. Uh, it's funny, yeah. The the uh, this 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 uh, cinematographer. I'm not crazy that Zathura, like in my mind, 
it must be the same author of it's yeah it's from yeah. the same author. it's like i think yeah. maybe even the book is sort of it might be a sequel or a companion piece it doesn't have anything to do with the movies don't have anything to do with each other but i think the the books actually do at least at least at very least sharing an author but i think maybe even sharing like a sensibility or whatever um oh yeah it's also, a straight up sequel you're right no i like that navarro won the academy award for pan's labyrinth the same year that he was in theaters having shot night at the museum the cinematographer's life, everybody. That's that's yeah. what happens sometimes. Uh, he did a lot of he did like I'm number four and Breaking Dawn with so the ones with Bill Condon did. Wow, uh, great so he, great he is, poll with I am number four. Yeah, <laughs> that is a movie I saw in full and could not tell you anything about. It's so bizarre. It just is blanked. Out well, of my Jesse, memory. he's number four. What, what yeah, more do yeah. you need to know? I don't remember that. I could not confirm or deny whether he is number four. <laughs> what if um, the twist was he was number like five or something? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been That's too the much for credits. audiences. Yeah, is, yeah. Is the, there is a five or there already is a three. I don't know. But this is his directorial debut as far as like a kind of I, mean, I don't I think he's made shorts. Oh no! He's actually, made shorts. no. He uh, his shorts that are on Wikipedia actually are just oh, yeah. ones that other people directed, directed by to. other people. Yeah. Um. So this is his directorial debut. Uh, th- this one, like, it's funny. I feel like I gave this one a lot of leeway because it was the first one, and I was excited because oh, he's directed a bunch of TV. He directed oh, an okay. episode of that Hannibal. In fact. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that makes um, sense. the Bridge, Narcos, Preacher, and Luke Cage, which I think of several of the a few of those are Netflixes. Yeah, and yeah. he did. He shot the pilot for. Oh, that he shot the pilot for Star Trek Discovery, which didn't direct, but he okay. did direct those other things I mentioned. Okay, cool. That's yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, this one, like I, I started, you know, I fired this one up first thing because it was the first one on the on the screeners, and I was giving it a lot of leeway because I was very excited just to, to watch the show, <laughs> um, and it didn't really occur to me until the very end, and I was like, oh, that did not add up to very much. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe did you feel differently? <laughs> oh no, this is. I don't, have to, I don't have my ranking listed here, but it's definitely the second worst or the third worst one. Like it's, <laughs> it's one of those. It's funny that Tim Blake Nelson at one point says the word "creep show" because it to me it felt like this was a much thinner type of horror anthology segment that belonged more in a creep show than yeah. in something that was a full was meant to be a full hour and actually. So like that's what I mean. These were in my mind. These all should be like an hour, right? Yeah, but. This one was about 40 minutes, which to me speaks to like the whole idea that it's an underbaked segment because they couldn't even fill the hour. So like, I feel like if they would have gone for not trying to stretch it to an hour or 40 minutes and went with the, it's an it's a segment in a creep show movie or show and it's 10 minutes, maybe I would have been like, that was fine. But there's really much, a lot of these have a lot to chew on and like, classic like what are these what does a horror anthology usually do right like you watch a character like learn a tough lesson or get his comeuppance in some way and like i guess this happens here but like none of the none of yeah but like none of the elements come together to make it satisfying like it just it goes through the motions of doing exactly what i just described without setting itself up to have any as i keep saying meat on the bone or some sort of like oh this is a this this one's about x like what'd you say this one's about a guy who we find out is racist because he says a couple racist things, but like that stuff doesn't play into it in any real way. Like, no, he just sort of, it's, yeah, it doesn't really play into it. It's weird. It's like, it kind of gilds the lily a bit where it's like, he's cruel to this person and he is definitely being cruel in part because of his racial grievances, but the sort of 
you know, ironic comeuppance he receives, it doesn't really require him to be racist. You know, I mean, yes, not, that, exactly. that, that, not that they shouldn't cover it. It's just like there's no racial component to it. It's just like yeah. he receives a comeuppance that would happen even if he hadn't been racist to her, most likely. So it's exactly. sort of a, like the writing didn't thread the theme, quote unquote, that it was trying to like get at into yeah. the story. It just kind of like he, it seems like they had something and then at the end we're like, ah, oh, we need to have this be more meaningful. So uh make them say some Trumpy shit. Like it was kind of yeah. lazy. Well, it, like it so much of it it spends so much time with him. You know, it really feels like a character study for about half an hour. Uh so that oh, when 40 then, something uh, minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it sort of it just is like, oh, and then there's some I mean I don't know those people can watch this. I don't mean to spoil anything, but like yeah, yeah. There, there's a gruesome. <laughs> he gets a kind of. There's a gruesome comeuppance, and that's kind of. And then like la di da. There's not much. It's it really the build up. I was like, oh, where's this going? This is interesting. This is really kind of a you know pretty vile character, and like, but like he's compelling because Tim Blake Nelson is is a compelling actor, and it just Buster doesn't Scruggs. really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buster Scruggs himself, and it just doesn't. It really doesn't add up to very much. Um, I was, you know, I think it's one of the it, it's at, it's one of the shortest ones at forty minutes. And my thought was like, oh, if this had been twenty five minutes and a half, you know, the half an hour minus commercials of of network television, it probably would have been fine. <laughs> but but extended out to forty or forty five, you're kind of like, oh man, this is really drawn out, and it doesn't really have enough. Uh, but as with even the weakest of these. Uh, it is like pretty like the monster is cool. It's like actually like yeah. pretty. You know, it wasn't. I didn't find it boring. It just doesn't really. It just kind of ends with kind of a like, eh, okay. Yeah, it's very <laughs> like. There's not much to say about it. I didn't love it. I didn't hate no. it. It could have been yeah. shorter. The demon design was cool. There's just yeah. not much going on. Um, I yeah. I mean, my comparison to Creep Show is the best yes. comparison I yes. can make. Or even yeah. saying like a, it would have made a more like a better VHS segment, another like yeah. shorter thing. It just it feels like this is not the vehicle for this story. Like no, way too no. much build up, way too much exposition for little to no payoff. Yeah. With like you don't really it didn't I didn't think it like looked particularly interesting. Like it's maybe because it's about a fucking storage unit and it's like not that <laughs> compelling of a location. Yeah. But it's it just you know doesn't justify its runtime in any real way and the aesthetic was fine like i w- it, it's completely fine it's just fine it's a yeah. two and a half star experience you me. know what it, it weird this weirdly leads in well into the rest of them because this one was so uh i was so like kind of not baffled but sort of faintly um you know puzzled by all the buildup leading to not very much. It actually put me on a weird course through watching the whole, all these, because I watched them in the, in the, in the order that they were giving me them that, that for the next two, I was like struggling to think that there was some kind of connection, more formal connection between all three of them. Not oh, because okay. they're actually, because like the, mo- just because the monster in this one, uh, in the, in the first one is, looks a bit like a monster in the third one and also there's an image of a monster that we don't see in the second one graveyard rats that yes again i if i had watched these all right in a row i might have been like oh no that's those are subtly different but they're close enough that i and that there's like an i had the they're, same they're, issue with a, a different pair of these where like yeah i'm like there's a couple lovecraft pairs like well these are very similar yeah <laughs> like, yeah. yeah well even yeah. Gra- graveyard rats which is the next one involves like i mean the storage unit with uh you know with a with a uh, with a ancient book uh, in it it's not exactly the same as like uh you know underground catacombs that you see in graveyard rats but it was close enough that i was like oh is this supposed to be like 
the, the same monster being summoned in different ways throughout the ages. You know, like they were just like, it was just similar. You were enough. like reaching for things that weren't there. I was, I how was. Similar they are. Yeah. It wasn't until like uh, several episodes past the third one where I was like, oh, maybe not. And then I even asked my friend Roxana Hadadi because I knew she was reviewing them. I was like, Roxana, like, am I going crazy? And she was very, in a much more polite way, was like, Yes. Patted you on the head. Like, no, no, you like, silly boy. No, oh, sweetie. Yeah. No, uh, no. Yeah. I mean, she was actually very helpful because she had just watched them as the same, yeah. you know, with this, with, with a lot of attention. It was like, no, they, I don't think they're supposed to be connected. But uh, because this one is so flimsy otherwise, the first one, Law 36, uh, and then the second one, Graveyard Rats, which is actually maybe my favorite, but is it's also pretty short. my favorite. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, I was, I was, because of this first one being so slight, I was like, oh, maybe I'm guess that's why it was so slight because it connects to the other ones and they haven't told us this, but it's this nice surprise that there's actually a thread running through these. <laughs> Absolutely not true. They have nothing to do with so each other. So what you could say is this one was so bad, it turned you into a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> it did. It, came, it made me go QAnon on, on this poor anthology show. Whereas I should have just been enjoying how much graveyard rats is like gruesome and dude like, yeah let's transition so right good. into yes. vincenzo natali's graveyard yes. rats which is so good i remember like it made me think like do i really like vincenzo natali stuff like i, <laughs> I think okay, I, yeah, and I think yeah i like splice when it came out but like i did i too, realized yeah. i hadn't seen i think it was someone on twitter asked me if i'd seen nothing which is his first movie and i hadn't so i started watching that last night and fell asleep to it and it was great and i'm excited to finish it but uh, Graveyard Rats. My like quick summary before we talk about it is: this is the platonic ideal of a horror anthology segment. It is perfect. It is <laughs> nightmarish in several different ways. There are rats running around, which is scary for some people. It's claustrophobic, which is scary for some people. It's got a bunch of corpses, <laughs> which is scary for some people. It has maybe the best use of setting I've ever seen in one of these. Like, there's a moment where the rats like take a corpse through like a hole in the ground and he follows <laughs> it through. And I'm just like, Oh, it was just like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. I'm like, this is yeah. horrifying. This is so yeah. scary. Um, yes. it's like inherently something I just do not want to do. It's like, this movie is scary in the same vein of like what I would call like the inherently scary premise. That's going to work on me, yeah. which is like <laughs> the 47 meters down where you're like, you're stuck in a cage underwater and you have a finite amount of air and you're going to yeah. die or yeah. like fall where they're stuck on top of a, uh, radio tower for no reason yeah and they're just stuck like if you do that well and this does like the setting stuff very well it's gonna work for me and i think yeah. it worked perfectly and it does all of that stuff and has a really fun crazy monster reveal yes. all of that in 39 minutes yes and just a blast from start to finish and one of those premise premises as i mentioned inherently nerve inducing loved yeah. it Absolutely. It's it's got, got like a nice kind of macabre, like, you know, it, it's based on a short story by Henry Kuttner, who I guess is a contemporary, a friend even of, um, of, uh, what's his face? Uh, Lovecraft. Primo? Oh, Lovecraft. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the thing. These are all like, that's why I was so getting so tied up that, you well, know, yeah, these are connected because there's two Lovecraft adaptations yeah. and one by Lovecraft's friend. Uh, so this is, and, and, they, and have, there are more yeah. beyond the Lovecraft too, that feel like they, you could say Lovecraftian yeah. to describe them. True. No, in fact, 
yes, yeah, several of them have more Lovecraftian elements to me than some of several of the kind of. I mean, I, I'm not. Yeah, there are, I would say the anymore, ones right. I would describe as Lovecraftian are not the ones that are the Lovecraft adaptation. Right, right. Which probably shows it. Probably when I, I have I have the same thought. Which to me, I was like, oh, that just means I don't know shit about actual Lovecraft. I just yeah, know probably for me movies. too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, sure. so, but well, yeah, because the has, whole thing about Lovecraft is it's talked about as these unfilmable things, and he's like a cosmic horror genius, and the writing is such that you can't visualize it on screen so what that translates to is someone figured out how to do that and that's what we see on screen in every lovecraft adaptation (laughs) which is like octopusy looking things or whatever yeah yeah Yeah. it's funny that Guillermo was for so long wanted to do in the in the uh, mountain of madness because he and then this he's doing the series that's kind of like lovecraft tribute but it's not quite as you know hardcore shit necessarily as that would be but yeah this this is based on an old short story and it has that like wonderful Edgar Allan Poe esque short yes. story feel of like macabre, oh this is just like yeah. It's, yeah it's macabre but like the character is very well drawn the atmosphere is great it's really just a really nice it's it's I feel like that kind of it weird weirdly kind of makes sense because it's not that Vincenzo Natale is my necessarily my favorite of these filmmakers although he might be up there because I do really like Splice and Cube but I haven't seen a lot of his other ones I never saw in the Tall Grass which I guess he did for I Netflix. like that a lot too yeah oh, okay that was I, should, a good well, I, gotta, I just gotta watch Netflix. the rest of his movies because he's yeah. like bat- he's batting a thousand for me he, he i agree yeah he might be ideally suited for this because uh i mean well, spice was a great feature film and i liked cube pretty well but like he has he's really he seems like he's really good at kind of milking like these like kind of simple premises like splice part of what's cool about it is that it like goes a lot further <laughs> on its premise than you kind of think it's gonna go yeah um i remember the audience vocally rebelling against that movie when oh I saw yeah it. What a delightful. people did not like that movie <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a cool movie it's scary uh and yeah, he just does like it's not like anything crazy unexpected happens in Graveyard Rats, but he just like takes no, but all like, of it it's as fun. far as it should go. Yeah, it's so fun. I, it's, I like yeah, it, it takes everything as far as it go- should go, and it's fun, and it has that like you're right, it has that like old fashioned Poe macabre feel, but it's also yeah. quite funny. Like the yeah. <laughs> like the protagonist is like a grave robber who like at first you set they're setting it up that he's like a hero and like, protecting this grave, but he really is just trying to shunt these guys off of it so he can take it yeah like it's all very funny but at the same time when it gets to like the horror elements of like okay this guy what happens in this in this short right like it's about a guy who's a grave robber who like gets he like falls into this tunnel of rats because they take a piece of gold or something from him yeah he's he's trying to get get it he knows about he has a line on a, a, a a very valuable piece being buried with someone and he's in debt. He's also he also talks in a kind of a funny, like elevated, like quasi sophisticated way that makes it very funny. Yes. Um, and he's trying to pay back his debt. So he's like, I'm going to go and I, I just have to grab this. I just have to rob this one grave. It's his one big score, except it's just grave robbing, which is also yeah. very funny. Uh, but the rats have been menacing him in, in, during this grave robbing work. And he thinks, oh, I can get it. I can get to this grave before the rats get to it. And he is wrong and has to go try to retrieve this thing. He's very determined to to enter these, you know, rat rat catacombs. Um, it just goes. Yeah, it just goes every time it would be like it would kind of go kind of crazy. It, it, would, it would go another step beyond what I was expecting in a way that I really found. Delightful. Yeah, it just kept one upping itself. I was blown away by it. Like I did not. I genuinely I don't give five stars lightly, I feel like. And I did not <laughs> expect to give five stars to any movie in this thing. But like I, I found myself writing it a writing it a four. And I was like, that's not fair. Like this yeah. is a perfect like, what do I want from these things? Yeah, if, if exactly. This isn't a five star version of what this is. Like I, I'm using a five star as Ebert would a four star. 
yeah. like using the ratings and judging each thing on its own merit, right? So like if you're doing that and you're judging Graveyard Rats as a segment in the Cabinet of Curiosities, this is a five-star thing. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. No and, like, notes. <laughs> no notes. Exactly. Exactly. Rats are such a perfect vehicle for horror, which is yeah. a bummer that another one of these uses a rat and it's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, what what's the what's the third one? The third one is the autopsy, which I also really enjoy. Oh my from god, David this is incredible! So this is my yeah. second favorite, almost yeah. close to my favorite. I really loved it. Yeah, the two, three, and four are the ones that I probably liked the most, and they all kind of came together, which made the end of it a little disappointing. <laughs> but but I was really I was really riding a high for a while on this. Uh, yeah, and it's what I found so cool about the autopsy, which is not uh, like necessarily. I don't know if the you know people misuse the term high concept, but it's like it's not high concept in the sense that it's not a great hook. It's just like this guy is doing an autopsy <laughs> and there's some like crazy, you know, some uh, crazy circumstances uh, that 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 he's investigating by doing this autopsy. Uh, I don't even remember the, a lot of the sp- story specifics, but it's so I'm so impressed by how immediately recognizably David Pryor it is, which seems like such a yeah. dumb thing to say. He's done one movie. Uh, that I really like the uh, that I think you like too the Empty yeah. Man, and uh, it's still like the f- first or second shot of this. I was like, oh yeah, this is like a hundred percent David Pryor, which is sort of weird. Like it, he's really, I mean, some of it's probably just like Fincher esque. Yeah, covers some Fincher, of it. but kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there there is sort of a like kind of I don't know. There's like a texture to his movies that uh, the, the, his movies. There's one movie in his one TV episode yes. that it seems it's like kind Ura. of. Yeah, his his vast oeuvre. I mean, he's done other. He's worked on other stuff too, but those are his two things as a director. And I, I didn't see actually. I didn't see his direct direction of the Voir segment, uh, the Netflix yeah. uh, anthology, another anthology series. But I, it, it's really interesting how immediately his style peeks out of this, and that really is what I liked about it. I was like, okay, this is recognizably the guy who did the Empty Man. It's also very gnarly because it is as gnarly as you would expect an autopsy movie from the empty man guy to be. Um, And it's like, yeah, it's a nice like post body horror because it's like, it's, I guess it's still body horror, but it's like not body horror in the usual of your body rebelling against you. But like, there's still just, it's just nasty and like, it kind of subverts that by the end in an interesting way. I really love the ending of this one. I mean, this is terrific stuff. I was yelling at the screen and could barely look at like the <laughs> the final sequence, like what he's doing and the body horror of that. It's yeah. I don't want to give away too much, but if I, I feel like if I said the what I'm going to say, it would give away too much. But like, yeah. it's such a fun riff on a certain type of sci-fi premise that yeah. we've seen a million times, even recently yes. in another movie yes. uh, that was that we talked about on the pod uh, on the yeah. bonus episodes. Um, but. Yeah, just like the master... F- There's like two reasons why I think this is good. One is like the inherently interesting and gross autopsy stuff and the way F. Murray Abraham is like dictating the story to his- through his notes. Yeah. But like... And then it's... Yeah, it's like the storytelling of this is so clever and competent and interesting yeah. and visually compelling. And just like the way the story unfolds is definitely the most well-told narrative of all of these, yes. right? Would yes. you agree? Yeah. Yes, I would agree. It does, and it is also based on a short story. This by a contemporary writer, and it has the. I mean, I feel like there's a there's a wide range in terms of like genre short stories, in terms of some of them being kind of cheesy and like you know dependent on you know twists or sort of clunkiness or whatever. And this one, I haven't read the story, but. It has the signs of being like a very elegant one of these because certainly the movie is where you're right. It's the the narrative of it is probably the best in terms of like 
the twist is clever and it's not like a twist for the sake of a twist or just or merely an ironic comeuppance it has like a real has like thematic heft without being kind of heavy-handed it really is like David Esquire, you have to give it, you have to hand it to him. Who I feel like it's a lot of shit. It, I was like, annoyed it, <laughs> that I liked it so much when I when I saw that he wrote. Well, Goyer's not. I mean, like he's had a hand. Like I feel like I think of him. He's like directed David some Kep. crap, but he's written some amazing things, right? Yeah, he's he's you know he's like he's had a whole range of things. Like he's on, been on a bunch of crap as a screenwriter, but he also worked on like the Nolan Batman movies and uh, you know. Uh, well, mostly those in terms of stuff that's good, <laughs> but like he's he's a genre. You know, he worked on Blade with the Blade Two with with Guillermo del Toro, and and like and then made the less good Blade Three. But like he's a genre guy, and he like at least I think I I feel like respects this kind of material, you know. And he does a nice job like translating this into probably the best actual written story of this of this batch. Yeah, it's, uh, it's deliberately paced really effective at building tension. Uh, yeah, I was just blown away by this. And like, I think if you're watching it with subtitles, you're going to get a lot of parentheses, otherworldly squelching. Yeah. A, lot of, a lot of squelching noises Lots in this squelching, one. Yeah. This one felt very Lovecrafty in parts. Yes. Um, yeah, and you al- see why first through the first three, I was like, oh, this is like sure. the, same, the same monster is somehow through the ages appearing, you know. Uh, I do get it. I'm I was watching them in different orders, <laughs> but a lot of them do end up just being like, boom, it's a monster. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. the whole thing. Um, yeah. Someone reviewed this and just said, cue the jigsaw theme. And I love that. Idea. <laughs> like, imagine yeah. the jigsaw saw music came over yeah. the end, the dun, final dun, dun, sequence. That dun, gave dun, me dun, such dun, a dun, fucking dun. joy to, to oh, imagine. Yeah. I need yeah. I need someone to recut that on YouTube yeah. to the saw music. The like the revelation even, of the final. He's theme. even making a recording. It's perfect. That's I know. Always it's some so fucking, fucking good. Oh. Yeah. Um, someone else said it feels like a forbidden episode of uh, the the X Files or something, and I, yeah, I, I like yeah. that too. Yeah, um, the X Files that you couldn't see. Yeah, this shit fucking rocked like if that was if graveyard yats is a fu- i feel like i have to give this one like a four and a half or a five as well like there's n- yeah. no notes i love it i think it's yeah. great Very um good. and like if it's so funny if these were the only two that were good i would still be giving the whole thing a good a positive review and saying yeah. you should oh, watch the sure. cabinet of curiosities so it's yeah. great that there's a few more that are still worth your time yeah. and I just want to mention going back to Graveyard Rats because we talked about the staging of things uh, in in the autopsy. There's some just the way the claustrophobia and the hallucination aspects and like, again, the setting and like how he gets in the, the crawl space, like the framing and staging of all that is incredible. And yes. that's what makes both these stand out, I think, is just yeah. the attention to detail all over the place. Yeah. Um, so what's the fourth one? The fourth one is outside the out- okay sorry the outside the outside lily i'm rapport of girl who walks home a girl walks home alone at night the bad batch and still unseen by me but i really want to right now because i actually really liked this episode uh, uh mona lisa and the well, blood moon let me bat that right down for you <laughs> i loved the outside as well i thought this was great and I really didn't care for the Blood Moon movie at all. Oh, that's but too bad. I kind of liked the Bad Batch, though. So yeah, I'm a wild well, card. so you should get your head examined, and then you should also watch the Blood Moon movie, which you also may enjoy. But you may want to watch that before you get your head examined, because if they fix you, 
you would you would <laughs> not like it. it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I will. I, before taking any medication, I'll watch Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. Yeah, uh, would that it were still playing in movie theaters. I would love to roll out <laughs> for it. Uh, I think it's. I, I feel like it's weirdly available. I feel like it's streaming yeah, oh, on no. sites or something. I, oh, yeah, good, I good. I, that's yeah. even better because I do want. I do want to watch it. I weirdly uh, through all this don't really care for Girl Who Walks Home Alone. A Girl Who Walks Home Alone. And I actually thought that movie was kind of bullshit. Well, it's um, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where that brought her onto the scene and like horror people were all about it for a minute and I feel like no yeah. one likes it anymore. Yeah, no, and I feel like well, I feel like people turned on her specifically. She had like an inelegant answer at to a QA um about her treatment of race in the movie in in Bad Batch. And I feel like that was just like people were kind of like, she's done. I mean, like, I don't mean to be all cancel culture. I just mean like I think there was a to the extent that people thought much about her sort of turned the t- that sort of helped turn the tide against her and the fact we all didn't like bad batch certainly it <laughs> didn't hurt um this one has some of the qualities i think people don't like uh about her work which is the kind of simultaneous too muchness and not enough like which is actually how i felt about girl who girl walks home alone at night is that i was like i, I think my my pithy letterbox review at the time was like i need a little more something in my nothing uh like if you're gonna <laughs> make a thing that's just like Oh, this is just style. Like, I needed to have a little more. I can't believe Anna Lily Amarpour had the balls to make movies after you said that. Yeah. <laughs> had the ball to make more movies. I can't believe she wasn't found dead at her computer yeah. <laughs> after having read that review. Somehow I feel like she was able to persist despite my, <laughs> my seeing her movie two months late and being like, nah, I didn't like it. Um, yeah. Uh, I just thought that was then, really good. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like, well, then I saw Bad Batch and I was like, this is the perfect amount of nothing in my Oh my God. <laughs> um, I, for whatever I can't reason, imagine I, sitting down to watch that movie again. <laughs> I just can't. Oh, I wouldn't watch it again, but like, I, I rented it when it was on VOD and, uh, and I like enjoyed enough of it that I was like, it's fine. I give it a pass. Um, but this, this one is like grotesque and like, does some stuff I would normally find kind of annoying where it's like very cartoony. It's like, seems to be parodying things that I don't know if, if they ever existed, but certainly don't exist now. It like kind of flagrantly and unsubtly crosses kind of kish from the seventies, eighties and nineties and conflates them into one big era of like, of just kind of like nonsense that seems like it's maybe supposed to be the past, but they don't really say. Um, and I like I, when usually with that kind of thing, I prefer something like it follows where it's like a very subtle. Uh, what the hell decade is this? <laughs> like, yeah, it follows has like some like technology that has never existed alongside yeah, like, like, like the little CRT. like like that little like uh, like the makeup, clamshell, the clamshell yeah, the clam, makeup yeah, her phone clamshell, or whatever. Like, tv that she watches and also there are like or i guess she reads a book on it and there's also like crt tvs everywhere which i love i love it follows so much and i love that like that weird like what year is this aesthetic this one is like rather than just kind of the quiet like what year is this the outside is like hey what year is this Eh?" you know like from immediately uh so and like it all to make a point that is not exactly again not exactly subtle but subtlety is not necessarily a value. It's not a value. It's a, just a. It's just a thing. Like, and I found it this pretty compelling, even though I kind of see it, saw where it was going. Yeah, I love. I love how you rush to mute when there's a when there's a siren in the background. <laughs> Finish the thought. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the outside. This is a horror anthology short that definitely has like a like a morality tale type of thing, right? Or like a yeah. ironic comeuppance or a lesson or something. So this is a this is a movie about it's kind of conflating a couple things, right? Like consumerism, it's kind of sending up the idea of like just capitalism, consumerism, buying stuff and how you need to keep buying stuff to keep yourself happy and satiated. Yeah. But it's also about 
like the beauty industry, right? Yeah. And how like the the shit people do to keep themselves pretty or to make themselves look like the other people in their lives who they think are pretty. Yeah. And it's about trying to fit in and stuff and like the the extremes one would go to to do that. And it does that in the guise of like how would I uh, a com- horror movie comparison like something like I guess like they live type of stuff or something where it's like the it's almost some, kind of something like that, but it's more like the stuff where it's yeah. like this. Have you seen the stuff? No. <laughs> okay. The stuff is, you know, about a popular product. That's like ice cream or it's like, it's an ice cream like product. That's, you know, blowing ice cream sales out of the water. Everyone's buying the stuff, but like, it's like killing you. Uh-huh. And uh, so this reminded me of that, where it's just kind of sending up. What did you think it was after? I mean, yeah, I thought it was, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's doing some of that stuff and not again, not in a super subtle way where it's sort of, like, I think the beauty industry, especially it's stuff that feels both, and it's, it's weird, but I think in some ways the, the kind of amorphous seventies, eighties, nineties setting sort of throws it off because there's so much to say about like it, the way Instagram sells that kind of thing, you know, sure. and like the, the way social media in general sells that kind yeah, of like, why are we doing like QVC type shit still? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like we're making right. fun of home shopping, which like I'm sure is still a thing for a lot of people, but even like who she admire, even I don't, I don't even necessarily mind her getting it from home shopping, but like the, that the people she admires are like other ladies at the bank where she works yeah. it, or whatever. It just feels like, Oh, okay. This is, it's a bank, right. That she works. Yeah. Uh, it's like, or whatever, it, whatever office it is. It's just like, Oh, this, this is like kind of pointlessly retro and rather than her having some influencer who she admires, who has a skin, you know, it just seems like a little bit of a missed opportunity, even though I, I, I did really like this, you Me know, too. we're talking about this lotion. It's like skincare routines. Don't even get like a, you know, like more of a direct shout out in terms of like, there's always Instagrams and always like TikToks or whatever about like, about your skincare routine or about like, here's what you do for your skin to make yourself look like this or that. So to have her just like love the late ladies with big hair at the bank with shoulder pads and shit. I was like, that's, that's a weird, <laughs> I mean, not that it all has to be about right now, but it just seems like a missed opportunity to not have Instagram in there. If you're mixing. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a movie that's a commentary on obsession with yeah be- with beauty culture and yeah. make, I don't know if you call that self-help. It's not self-help. It's like making yeah, yourself, the makeup tutorial shit whatever yeah yeah like exactly right. it's definitely ripe for that i hadn't even thought about that though and that's yeah i didn't even think about it while i was watching it because i was i was enjoying it yeah really it's good like, enough yeah yeah and i like the kate mccucci performance i just like her in general and it was i like kate mccucci so it, much and i yeah it's it's half mean for me to be i feel like mean for her to get this role it's like you're acknowledging like she's not an attractive person but then they also go on like i think she's a really cute person oh yeah so she's adorable she's adorable but like i feel like this movie I feel like you could be mean about it and say like, yeah, they cast Kate Micucci as an ugly girl, but like, no, they cast her and then made her really ugly. <laughs> like they yeah, really they, accentuate. Well, well exactly. <laughs> yeah. They accentuate her insecurities and her awkwardness and the way that she may not be like conventionally magazine model pretty or whatever. Yeah. They give her like um, a she, mullet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of the, like, you know, that's part of the kind of the, the weird time we, stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and they, you know, they give her like a genuinely sweet and like really not, uh, you know, neglectful or mean. I feel like the, the kind of obvious thing to do, and even though this movie, this movie traffics in some obvious stuff, 
the obvious thing to do, I think, would to give give her a husband who really doesn't. I mean, maybe they do give her a husband who doesn't one hundred percent understand her, but to give her a husband who belittles her or like or lusts after, you know this type of image or whatever but instead martin star who plays her husband I, so maybe nice. I, yeah. yeah i maybe maybe i was missing just because i like martin star but i think yeah i think he plays it as like a guy who like genuinely really likes his his like slightly squirrely bizarre wife who's good at taxidermy you, you and like stabbed me in the face stace yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's yeah it's pitched pretty broad but like it, i did i think there was enough a core of sweetness between the two of them that it really does uh, read as sad rather than like cruel or or overly you know ironic or arch or anything and he really is he, he has like a um that's funny the voice you did for him which was spot on um reminded me of how much he sounds like um who's uh jesse plemons actually <laughs> like in that oh, kind sure. of mid- that yeah. midwestern like well-meaning like slightly dorky guy and yeah he he genuinely likes her the way she is and like and maybe is a little set in his ways in terms of like not you know making her feel maybe doesn't fe- make their life feel like that exciting or whatever but he really because he genuinely likes being married to her and thinks she's like thinks she's great and that she shouldn't think you know look down upon herself um and it's a they movie do about yeah. finding your self-confidence yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it is like i don't know especially after these first three where i was like these are all uh, wait this is the same monster and all of them uh, like getting out my as our friend lex g would say our charts and graphs being like no no but th- what time period is this creature in and this one i was like oh okay this is like a very different type of horror with the, where like the horror is this goop that she buys this lotion <laughs> that the, the villain is uh i mean besides it's, it's the really horror her is so- conformity yeah, uh, I know. And some of it, it's a little pat and like, it's pretty cartoonish having to go to the secret Santa party where she like brings an obviously wrong gift and all that. But like, I did find it affecting. And I just like enjoyed I also enjoy the style of it. I think if nothing else, Anna Lily Amrapour, like knows her way around like striking images and like even girl girl walked home alone at night which i didn't care for like i could acknowledge like that movie looks great um and, and you went here, and like, a skateboard like, afterwards yeah that's right yeah i've been cruising around on my skateboard going like hey guys see the bad batch uh but yeah the colors in this really pop it's really vivid like vivid imagery with that like i just using the lotion as the like kind of creature of this uh yes. by, you know is very is the very, very the, i'm sorry the very cummy lotion yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it's so gross um and i yeah so i it worked for me i, I know my friend roxana who reviewed it like this really hated this one um and what, found it she, really, what was her what was her issue she, she just thought it was like super broad and obvious and kind of like grotesque and caricatured which i, I can't mean, argue with like yeah i mean that's kind of part and parcel for a horror anthology segment in my mind though like it yeah. kind of i guess it you know that's letting it off the hook <laughs> yeah. ones that are bad but i feel like they can be those things and still be yeah. effective. I yeah, no, I, this worked for me. I, I th- and also, it just it's so different in tone and look from the whole rest of these that I really and, and yet while still having some like you know common ground with them, like uh, ultimately that I thought yeah. it really like I would kind of wish a few more of them were as far off you know far off from yeah. the look of the, with the, some of the others as this one. Like I think this one really stood out for that reason. For sure. What's uh, what's number five? Number five is Pickman's model. I was so delighted. This is the worst one, but I was so worst delighted one. to see worst Christmas. one, worst one, <laughs> alert. worst, worst, worst. We That's agree. What the sirens are about. Uh, uh, I hope the uh, the marathon goes not far from my house. I really hope people aren't. This isn't some like fucking disaster at the marathon, which is accounting for all these sirens. Um, Pickman's model is by Keith Thomas, who gave us the recent remake of Firestarter, and. His hot streak continued. 
this with Pikmin's model. Uh, well, I, I also made fun of him because I'm like, oh, it's the guy who did Firestarter. Then I forgot that yeah. he did The Vigil, which is a horror, uh-huh. uh, indie horror movie that I didn't love, but I thought was fine. So it's definitely yeah, a bummer that he's done two stinkers in a row. I haven't seen this one. It's, you know, it's probably like, it's it's not all, probably I'm sure it's not all him. Um, and I mean, this one has some things to offer. I think even the worst of these are like, all right. You know, there's it has Crispin Glover for one thing, which I'm always happy to see. Uh, but you know what? I feel like Crispin Glover could be better suited in something more like The Outside, where it would be like a little more, you know, a tray or whatever. <laughs> like this one is an actual I, I Lovecraft adaptation about an art student who kind of becomes friendly with a, uh, an artist with like, well, f- quite Lovecraftian uh, work. And he's like kind of haunted by the, the, the work that he sees from Pikmin, who's played by Crispin Glover. Right. That's who yeah. Glover is. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I like, I've lost the plot on whatever happened in this one. It's just like this one. It felt very, after awful watching a few that were under an hour, like uh, comfortably under an hour. Uh, I think, I think um, the the Anna Lily one is a little longer, but the first few are all coming under the hour mark. And then Pikmin's model is like an hour or close to it, or maybe even a little more. And it feels like um, the most drawn out. Like it just feels very repetitive. Um, and it just like, this feels like it could have been done in 35 minutes just as efficiently. It just doesn't, I don't know. It never really hooked me. And I was surprised because I love Crispin Glover. Uh, not like as familiar with his like ex- crazy experimental stuff, but I think he's a great. I mean, Willard, the remake of Willard, love the remake of Willard. Uh, so it was a little. Did you like his ever morphing accent here? That I couldn't <laughs> tell if it was like New Joy, New Jersey, yeah. or like New York. It was very weird. Yeah, um, I, but that's I part and parcel that, but, for for him. Yeah, yeah, it, that was that kind of stuff. I kind of wish it was crazier in that direction, and a lot of this was like. So yeah, I don't know. I'll tell you why this one sucks. This one is lacking in every conceivable way for sure but it's most frustrating in how this is supposed to this is like this is a lovecraft story about like paintings that are so disturbing they drive people who see them mad right yeah and that description does not at all match this movie it's so fucking boring and every time they feign to actually show the paintings it is hilariously hilarious how how stupid the paintings look (laughs) like the way they're shot and presented it's like the director like to put his camera up to a painting and like tilted it so like the light hit it differently and Uh. like that's every horror sequence in this movie with the paintings it just it's it's like someone's wiggling a painting in front of a camera it is so flat and i found the whole movie to be a chore to get through for this mostly for this reason i just i thought the premise was so awesome that yeah. at every turn I was just let down by what I was seeing. It's so boring. Yeah, it's dull. Uh, I I feel like I had to I had to rewind it because I fell asleep, you know, like and go back and watch the rest of it after I realized I had dozed off. It's and then this is supposed to be something that really haunts you. So it really, you know, if, if it's just a regular, you know, if the rat one had been boring, that that would have sucked. But it would have been like, oh yeah, well, you know, maybe you're just not that scared of rats or whatever. This is supposed to be about images that haunt you, and so like to kind of doze off during what? <laughs> There's so much commentary you could do about art in this too. Yeah, about, like, yeah. Uh, art going against the norm, like the, is that corrupting people or, or the power of art? Anything, and I feel like it doesn't do any of that. 
And this movie has like timeline jumps that are confusing and yeah. characters all look kind of alike and they have like change a mustache when the time jumps and it's confusing. It just has all the like worst qualities of an episode of a horror anthology all rolled into one. It's too long. It's boring. It's not scary. Any all the horror is like confined to the final seconds or like minutes of it. It's it sucks. It it made me if I had seen this first I maybe like wouldn't have watched any more of them. Like it stinks. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's true. It's true. They were, they were smart to put it later in the run uh, in terms of what the order they gave, because if this, you put this early on, you, you might kind of just lose interest and never go back to it. Um, and I feel like that's also the, the behind why it's followed by the second worst episode for me in the, in the series. Let's get right like, into it. Dreams in the witch house, which is number six uh, by Catherine Hardwick. Um, which who I, you know, I'm always kind of rooting for because I feel like she got fucked over by Twilight. She like made Twilight. It was a huge hit. Well, she she, brought, she, she was the yeah. 13 lady, right? Yes. Yes. Which I don't, again, I don't even like that one. It's like, like Anna Lillian. That and, movie and was Ford. a phenomenon I'm imagining. But the, yeah, it, I mean, it was because it, it, of yeah. the content. And if that movie came out today, it would be even bigger of a thing because of how the internet economy works and clickbaity yeah. headlines and oh, this sure. movie about 13 year olds punching each other in the face or whatever and yeah, doing yeah. drugs. Like, I totally get why that was a phenomenon. But go yeah. on. Well, like, no, I, and I, I'm not even a big fan of that movie. I, to me, that movie kind of came across as like, what's happening to our children? But although, yeah. you know, I haven't seen it since I'm becoming a parent, so maybe it would really freak me the fuck out if I saw it now. But I was always rooting, rooting for her. I like Lords of Dogtown, which which has a great Heath Ledger performance. Dude, um, I quote that movie. Reg- I say you just got patty slapped all the time to uh, people. <laughs> I weirdly have an uh, affection for that movie, too. Yeah, it's I, I, I liked it. And you know what? There's a scene in that movie, the last scene Heath Ledger is in that movie, where he's like, kind of been you know uh shot down is no longer like you know has a shot at the big time or whatever it is i don't even remember much about the movie except about skateboarding and then he like he's like working on a surfboard or something and like uh then just like kind of loses himself and singing along to the maggie may the song maggie may by rob rod stewart and it's such a wonderful piece it's like honestly one of my favorite pieces of heath ledger acting ever i was like they should show like he should have been oscar nominated for that movie and they could have just shown this clip and he should have won for it he was so good Anyway, so I always kind of, I don't know, there's little moments in some of her movies I always think, oh, this is good. Even Twilight, which is mostly bad, I feel like she at least brought some, like, genuine human feeling to that very silly series. Even and then it was the a, American remake of Miss Bala. Jesse <laughs> loves it. I just, I just adore it. Um, no, and, like, you know, you know what I do kind of like, though, is it kind of connects to this one that she made for the horror anthology, is Red Riding Hood. I actually kind of dug that movie. It's like a kind Amanda of, oh. Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, uh, never yeah. Saw it. yeah. Dark, it's kind of like a dark fairy tale thing, and that's the vibe she's going for here and that's like i think that's what she tried to tease out of twilight and was unsuccessful and then she made this massive hit that was immediately handed to a series of male directors <laughs> like that's kind of fucking just rankle you right like you make a massive hit movie that breaks robert pattinson and, and kristen stewart into the mainstream and all this and then they say like oh yeah yeah great female perspective now uh david slade <laughs> is he available uh can he do the sequel uh so like i'm always rooting for her Dreams in the Witch House has kind of a nice dark fairy tale tone to it and then kind of look to it. I think there's it looks great and is, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, again, like even the worst of these, I was sort of like, well, this is kind of cool. It's got some cool. I think the production design in Dreams of the Witch House is good. I think the monsters in it look cool. Um, it's I actually about, think like, the, the, the first half of it, like the setup, yeah. I was totally in. I was yes, like, this is yes. really compelling. And yeah. then at some point it falls off a cliff. 
Yeah, this guy get this kid sees his sister being taken to the death. Uh, when she dies, she gets taken to the forest of lost souls, and he's trying to find her in the. He's trying to reach the forest of lost souls. It's sort of like Flatliners type of thing, where he's like trying to. Yeah, it's back. about a guy literally upending his entire life because the only thing he cares about is finding his dead sister in the afterlife because when she died, he saw her ghost. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. Cool stuff. But then it, it just piles on these like bizarre complications and mythologies that are like you're supposed to understand to be like new wrinkles to the plot, but kind of just feel like the same thing over and over. <laughs> like there's like I just feel like we were watching some of the same the second half of this just felt like I was watching the same scene over and over. And it's another one where I had to, I was really struggling to stay awake during it and had to like leave it and come back to it later when i was at a more awake state of mind and in the stone cold you know awake wakefulness i was still like oh no this is actually boring <laughs> like i wasn't just tired it's also crazy um, how this is a lovecraft adaptation because this yeah. one is decidedly not lovecraftian yeah it feels like a kind of like something where you would say someone would say oh this is uh uh, this is Lovecraft influence, and you'd be like, "Oh, I guess I can kind of see it," <laughs> but it yeah. is actually based on his short story, and that's interesting that she can. I don't know if it's it's just a, a, an atypical story for him, or if it's again like just me not knowing what his stories are actually like. Or no, his stories like, are not this tonally confused. Like, there's yeah. like weird comedy with that like Ratatouille shit. Like, what the yeah. fuck was all that? It was. It's I li- again. I like the uh, also. I, like, I'm seeing that Nia Vardalos was in was in this. Who did she play? Yes, and, she and was. Why? Uh, she was Madame Levin in the opening scene. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, which they said Madame Levin, and I heard Adam Levine. Or they yeah. said Madame Levine, and I heard Adam Levine. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. is, it's just like, again, this is kind of the the downside to, to the outside, which I was like, oh, this feels kind of apart from the other ones in a good way. Like, it really stands out. This one feels apart from the other ones, despite being an actual Lovecraft adaptation, uh, in a way that's kind of like, oh, this, is, this wasn't quite right for this project. Like, I don't know. It just didn't quite work for it. Um, I enjoyed the imagery and the kind of technical stuff more than Pickman's model. So I sort of, I would give it slightly above that one, but otherwise, yeah, this was uh this was the other kind of major pass for me on these, on these eight, but two out of only two out of eight being a pass was not too bad. Um, but you, uh, I feel like you were not that impressed with number seven, <laughs> which is yeah. Uh, number seven. Is that the, the viewing, the viewing? With yeah. The viewing is the one Yeah, the Panos Cosmatos, the guy who did Mandy, the guy who did beyond the black rainbow, uh, everyone hyped this one up for me, and I checked this one out first, and I was com- com- yeah. Well, go, go ahead. Let I was just go. gonna say sorry. I was just gonna say that the classic. That so for me, it's been I, though I liked Mandy. It's been the classic Cosmatos thing of being. Uh, everyone hyped it up for me, and then you were oh, like, yeah. "What?" <laughs> well, I thought, yeah, but on the Black Rainbow, I definitely felt that way about too. Um, so everyone really oversold this one to me. I do not think it's the best of the lot. In fact, I think it's down the bottom of the list, not the bottom. Like it's definitely. I'd watch this again over the actual worst ones, which are lot uh-huh. 36 Pikmin's model and the witch house one for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, I'll tell you why this one doesn't work. It's another one of those ones that's like 30 minutes of material in an hour package. Yes. Oh, for sure. And it's an, or you could even describe it as 55 minutes of setup for five <laughs> minutes of payoff. Yes. It is all payoff, no setup, and the balance is off. And I can tell you why I liked Mandy and I didn't like this. Mandy had an hour of uh, a setup and then an hour of payoff. Right. Yes. And that's what made that movie distinct and interesting and made it work for me. And this movie, it just, it, the, it was like bound to fail for me because it's an hour long thing that's doing the Panos 
cause Cosmatos slow build, but then it doesn't have any time to let loose. It just ends. No, no. It just yeah. it just builds to this thing, and then it happens exactly what you think is going to happen. There's a monster. Here it goes, and then it and then it's over. And like, yes, yeah. I appreciate some of the specifics of how people are dispatched, and but even then, it's just like it's all so one note, and it's mostly just people talking. And I think a lot of people find it funny or something like. But this is a movie for I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sound mean, and I'm sorry if this is you. But it's a movie for people who say things like, "Oh yeah, it's all vibes," and they mean that <laughs> as like a superlative because yeah, those yeah, yeah. that's what that's the only review I've seen of this movie. People giving four stars and going, "Uh, vibes." <laughs> and like to me, that Did is you not why see it the sucks. vibes. Yeah. yeah, like oh, I saw the vibes. I get the vibes. I appreciate the vibes. I appreciate a lot about this. I appreciate uh, Peter Weller is great in this. Peter Weller, fucking RoboCop himself, is in this. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Eric Andre's in it. Uh, so uh, Jesse's Sophia favorite Butella, Sophia Butella's yeah. in it. Yeah, <laughs> um, Charlene He is in it. It just yeah. it, it should have been my favorite by the elements, and it definitely wasn't. And I think it's yeah. because of what I mentioned. It's that like set up to pay off issue, but also like what do people what are people connecting with here? Like I don't yeah. like <laughs> they do space drugs or like cool coke. Like I don't. I don't yeah. understand what is like appealing I, or interesting about this very laborious setup that's going to pay <laughs> off in the exact way you know it's going to. Yeah, I don't really disagree with you. I liked the vibes a little more than you did, I think, but I don't think you're wrong about any of this. Like, I, it, it is a lot of like, you know, kind of calling attention to itself. I liked the look of it. I liked the score. Yeah, I enjoyed, it looks and I sounds good, no doubt. I enjoyed the. Uh, I enjoyed seeing these different actors. I enjoyed seeing some comic actors shuffled in. Again, it felt like felt like oh, okay. This is a little more of a variation on some of these things in terms of like the way that Kate Micucci and Martin Starr being in uh, the outside sort of enlivens it in a certain way. This one, like oh, having Eric Andre and Charlie Yee is like a different. And Steve G, another comic actor. Gives it a sort of different vibe, and I was like, I was good with it. I was, I wasn't finding it boring, and and I, I liked, you know, it, it's like it's pretty cool. But I agree with you. There's not much to it, and I do like Mandy more than this. But that was a little bit how I felt, even about Mandy. You like Mandy like, more than this? Oh yeah. For, for, yeah. I just wanted to say Mandy <laughs> more. Sorry. I, so I didn't even register because I do love Mandy more. She's great. <laughs> I have a bunch of her albums. Um, I've been keeping up silver landings on, on compact disc. Now. I loved her. <laughs> I loved her uh, supporting role on entourage. <laughs> That's the only thing. The fact that I, that she and Anna Ferris were on entourage are the only reason I might've conceivably ever watched entourage, but I never did. Um, Mandy Moore. Oh, great. Uh, no, she could have been live in this, uh, in this uh, uh, Panos movie. No, it's, I, I enjoyed it. Like it, and, and, and vibed with it enough. But I agree. And like, I, I did feel like even with Mandy, which had a more of an emotional through line, there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, you got to vibe with it for a long time. And then when the, even the payoff involves kind of just vibing with it, but sometimes more than like really experiencing it, you know, like it, it, there's always kind of a, you know, dorm poster black light remove to me, just his stuff where it's like. Yeah. It doesn't always feel like Cage, I think, goes yeah, a long hey, way. Hey, I smoke Mandy. a lot of weed in my life, and this movie <laughs> did nothing for me. Like, I, <laughs> I understand wanting to be like, it's the Black Light poster movie, and Stony Balonies will love it. But yeah, like, I want to, I want to, I want to dispute that. I, yeah, I yeah, need more. 
Yeah. Not enough weed in the world. Uh, no, like uh, I think Cage not enough really space brings... cocaine in the world or whatever that shit was. Yeah, yeah. Cage really brings a lot to Mandy. I think in terms of like giving you an emo- like his emotional kind of breakdown scene in that movie. Uh, I feel like if that had been fucking Eric Andre or or Charlie D or Steve G, that movie would not work. So I feel like there's a reason you could there's a kind of noticeable gap in why the Mandy works and this, and this one doesn't as well, but I did, I, I dug on it in like, I think also it, it helped that it followed the two weakest ones where I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. Like this is, I was a little more uh, forgiving towards it and, and enjoyed it, but I, I don't disagree. I, I think it's maybe being overpraised uh, in this group. I wouldn't put it, I would put it like right in the middle. Like I would say probably, you know, fourth or fifth maybe, but weirdly, I feel like I might I probably enjoyed it more than number eight. I think this is my hot take. If your hot take is that that uh, the viewing is, isn't as good as people are saying, my hot take is that the murmuring, the final one that Jennifer Kent made is a little bit of a snooze. I know that's like I a mean totally, thing to say. <laughs> I totally get it. It's it is technically snoozy. It is very yeah. <laughs> understated. It is like you're watching birds fly around. But I thought it was like gorgeous to look at. I thought it was like the, maybe the best looking one of these. Uh, like these are all been in 4k and they actually come through really well on the 4k projector. And this one looked really nice. Um, but it's definitely a sad little, I mean, it's a classic trauma movie. That's like someone getting over clearly, you know, that like they're getting over their kid dying or something, something happened. And there's this couple that's in a secluded house studying birds and, it just is exactly what that sounds like. Like you're watching yeah. this woman come to terms with uh, be distant to her husband uh, while she's looking at these birds. And I don't know. I'm I'm talking about I'm, I'm doing a good job of describing it. No. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. This husband and wife who are like uh, studying birds and go go to this house together to like observe and make scientific uh, observations and are clearly a little bit distant and he's trying to reach to her and try to like be a little more romantic with her and connect, reconnect with her. And she feels very uh, removed from the situation. And then it kind of eventually comes out not to spoiler, but this, I know there's not much to spoil on this really yeah. um, that, that she has not really had any kind of catharsis or like, you know, has not been, she's obviously grieving the death of their daughter, but she's not showing it very much. She's kind of been keeping it inside and he's not really, you know connecting with her husband over it um and you're wondering you know if this marriage is going to make it and then she also encounters like these kind of ghostly visions uh or or auditory uh, encounters and also kind of visions of like of ghosts ghosts in this house um who of people who experienced a tragedy and she's sort of you know it's a more about her you know, uh, kind of, it's not even really a mystery, but she's sort of in- investigating these unsettled ghosts who, of course, are, are like her. They're like unsettled, but they're un- they feel unresolved with what happened to them. Um, and like, I like all of that in theory. And I really like Jennifer Kent. I liked um, the Babadook. Very scary. It's a fucking scary movie. Uh, and I liked The Nightingale, a different kind of scary movie. <laughs> like a yeah, really brutal harrowing. Western. Tough. Yeah. Yikes. Um, rough sit, that one. And, uh, this one, I mean, I, I give her props for doing something that's a lot more, I mean, like the Babadook and is restrained in a way, you know, like it, it's tightly controlled, but this one really doesn't give you like the shivers. And I like, I'm not, I'm not saying it needs to be balls to the wall, fucking Babadook level, like, you know, uh, unsettling images and stuff, but it just felt so like buttoned up to me. It feels like it never really gives into like 
a real sense of fear. It's all it's just much more sad yeah, than it is. Yeah, it's just scary. a nice little ghost story, but yeah. a little sad. But I thought yeah. this, I thought the scares were like kind of cool in like a I think I saw someone else call this like Mike Flanagan-esque. And I yeah, kind, of, okay. I kind of get I kind of if you're on par with like Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor type of ghost story, I think this movie will work for you. Yeah, but, that probably explains why I wasn't as into it because I forget which one I watched. I think I just watched um I don't remember if I watched. I think it was Bly Manor was the one I watched. Um, and I don't remember which one. Anyway, whatever one I watched, I was yeah. like, this is all right. But like, I mean, it's so it's so touchy feely and sort of like sensitive. <laughs> it's a tough sell, too. It's like what you're watching grief stricken people like be sad together for a movie. And like that's yeah, it. And, and I, like if and yeah. I'm down with that, I just like, you know, if I want to watch that, like I feel like I'd watch maybe I'd watch like Rabbit Hole or a movie that like is actually about that. Like, I mean, not that this isn't actually about that. It just feels like felt a little constructed to me like oh we're going to explore this issue uh even though it's like i was like yeah but this has been done both in horror and out of horror so i'm not sure what this is bringing to the table yeah it's just it is good it's very well wrought i think it's because it's just like understated compared to the rest it's just like yeah it's a very well told ghost story with some spooky vibes and some scary jump moments i feel like and the actual ghosty like reveal they're all everything shot really well and like yes. framed really well and like yeah I was just into it. It's got like the human drama, tra- trauma and pain and yeah. the ghost story stuff in there. But yeah, it's definitely like if you didn't if you don't care for like the Flanagan style of like I don't know if austere is the right word, but austere <laughs> ghost stories. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if this one's gonna work for you. But but it is it is yeah. a nice like it, it's not like any of the other episodes. Yeah, just really nice cool. little yeah. palate cleanser, and it looks quite nice. So if yes. I was ranking these, flash ranking, graveyard rats, the autopsy, I'm going murmuring third. I'm going autopsy fourth, or uh, outside. Excuse me, the outside fourth, the viewing fifth, the dreams in the witch house sixth, lot thirty six seventh, and Pickman's model eighth. Oh, it's pretty close to me. I would go number one, Graveyard Rats. Number two, Autopsy. Number three, The Outside. Uh, maybe number four, The Viewing. Number five, Murmuring. Six, Lot 36. Seven, Dreams of the Witch House. And bringing up the rear, we have uh, Pikmin's model. <laughs> Poor she's Pikmin. A, yeah. She's a witch. <laughs> house had to do one musical parody on this episode yeah. <laughs> all right uh that's what people are coming for at this point uh <laughs> stick around for the bonus episode which now just basically dropped the same time these episodes drop so you can kind of listen to them as a one-two punch if you would like to uh check out the patreon feed now for jesse and i talking about the most shocking horror movie of the year question mark soft and quiet goodbye <laughs> Just forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.